Welcome to another edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. This is a public affairs broadcast airing on CMAC, Comcast 93, and AT&T 99 in the Fresno and Clovis area. We're also on Talk Radio 1550 KXCX uh, in the Central Valley of California. That's on the AM dial. Finally, we're on Anchor FM's podcast. It's really a Spotify company. And our guest has been a guest of ours before, and you've probably seen him as I've seen him on TV talking about farming, water, and all kinds of uh, agriculture-related topics. The Fresno County Farm Bureau's Ryan Jacobson. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me once again. So I... I, the weather has me has me thinking about you and agriculture and water because something unusual. A few months ago, drought, right? I mean, weren't we yeah. in a drought recently? So from the years 2020 to 2022 is the driest three-year period in California's records or California history. So it is extraordinarily unique for us to be here today talking about what what the heck has gone on the last couple of weeks versus what we were just facing and looking at for 2024. It was just in October that we were talking about a La Nina being extraordinarily dry going into this fourth year of drought. My have things changed because as we record this, there's another storm coming. Yeah. But we just underwent, I mean, we had a pretty significant storm. I mean, some people just thought it was rain, but it was a storm. So the one that we went to, uh, so we actually came into the new year with a very s- decent storm, but the one that came after the uh, the end of that first week there, I'll tell you what, I mean, some people are referring to it as a 30-year storm, a once-in-a-30-year storm. That's pretty, I mean, that's remarkable in the sense that you don't get too many of those in a lifetime uh, through what we just went through. And so these, it's it's just been atmospheric river after atmospheric river, one after another after another. I mean, some people refer to it as a freight train and the, keep, the cars keep hitting you. Um, I just refer to it as a tremendous blessing right now because after what we've been through, this is definitely a welcome sight. My heart goes out to those folks that have been impacted. I mean, I'm really, really sad about the situation up in Merced and there's been some other areas more heavily impacted but overall at least in this area where i'm at right now the good definitely way outweighs any bad right now because we've been so fortunate how much snowpack's been built up in the sierra there and i want to talk about this a little bit because i heard and i don't know how much of it is true you're the expert in this but we dropped from being the number (laughs) one producing county because of water is that true and what does this rain do to that Absolutely true. So uh, when you talk about drought and California, the crosshairs, the first people affected in the state are those federal contractors, those farmers on the western side of Fresno County. They are absolutely hands down the first affected because what's happened is, and, and I can get really detailed on this, but we'll, we'll keep it at the 50,000 foot level, but the complexities of getting water through the Delta because of the endangered species issues has dramatically cut back the reliable, once reliable water supplies 
to those federal contractors on the west side. And so they get their water from Chasta up in Northern California, makes its way down the Sacramento River into the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta, down into pumps on the southern part that come down through the Delta Mendota Canal. And it either ends up on farms here in Fresno County or it goes up in the San Luis Reservoir. That water supply has been tremendously cut back. And when there's any indication of drought, that water is severely cut back. And so those farmers are the first to face these types of droughts. And so they very realistically last year, we had somewhere between two and 250,000 acres fallowed in Fresno County, which obviously has a big impact when it comes to those bottom numbers for uh, our agriculture production. That's serious right there. And I want our audience members to understand that that's jobs, that's food. And in my opinion, causes a little bit of inflation. Am I correct? Without a doubt. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard the slogan before, food grows where water flows. Um, everything we do in agriculture requires having a reliable water supply. And that has been really jeopardized. I mean, we have seen cutback after cutback after cutback um, from surface supplies. Obviously, we have the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act coming into existence now. And so with all that stated, it does jeopardize our stable food supply. Let's let's start with the basics. California produces two-thirds of the nation's fruits, one-third of the nation's vegetables, you know, one out of five glasses of milk. We produce protein uh, products here. On and on and on, all these these things that we do, mag- uh, you know, really magically here, and yet uh, we can't do it if we don't have a water supply. And so when you start talking about water cutbacks, let's just take. I know this is the most simplistic product, but let's take something like processing tomatoes that end up in your ketchup, that end up in your pizza sauce, that end up on your spaghetti. 95% of the nation's processing tomatoes come from the western side of the Salkin Valley, most of that right here in Fresno County. So you start talking about what that what does that do to prices when we don't have water to grow these crops? It does affect people. Right now, the big one everybody's talking about happens to be eggs. Everybody's talking about eggs right now and how crazy those prices have went up. Um, you know, that has a lot to do with the avian influenza, and we've had a huge bird loss throughout the country. California has its own standards when it comes to production of uh, eggs and meat, and so therefore that drives up the cost more. But California has seen like a 550% increase in eggs within a relatively short time. That affects people's pocketbooks, and we don't want that across the table there. I know there's a lot of your listeners out there that are probably saying, well, I've already seen my food bill go up substantially. And the sad thing is, and you may not know this, is a lot of it's not making its way back to the farmer. Most of it gets, you know, it's the supply chain. It's the diesel truck that's hauling it from point A to point B. It's the refrigeration. It's the um, uh, supermarket. They're all driving their prices up, but very little, if any of that ever returns to the farm there. And so that's the frustration is that people are thinking that this is a lot of this, uh, these prices increases are going on at the farm level. It's not the farm level. It's the other value chains. But nevertheless, it hits all of us in our pocketbooks and it affects all of us when it comes to what we do and what we buy at the supermarket. The other day I was watching the news and I saw a farmer in his pickup truck, well-known gentleman, and he was looking at the land that he had uh, planted and he was excited because he didn't have to put any water on it and it was already growing. Is that like, is that happening? Was that only for like a news clip or no? is that really happening where you've got farmers going out to their acreage that they haven't watered and stuff is growing? No, that is uh, absolutely uh, a big part of why these rains are so incredibly important. So first and foremost, I always 
I, I can't overemphasize the importance of the Sierra Nevada snowpack for what it does here for the San Joaquin Valley, uh, because it is the gradual melting of that over the spring and summer months that does allow this desert to bloom. You know, on average, Fresno gets on less than nine, 10 inches of rain a year. From a, from a technical classification, that's a desert because we have very long dry periods in which we don't have that precipitation coming in. We're a completely different type of agriculture than what you have in the Midwest. So why is that all important? Okay, so we get these waters that come down through snowpack that are able to feed us. But then, you know, when we get these rainfalls, typically the rain comes between November 1st and February 28th, give or take, is when we get most of our rainfall here in the valley floor. And so... When you go through drought years, it wasn't that many. I think it was 2021. It was so dry. I had farmers having to turn on their pumps in January just to get some basic moisture in the ground. Because when you go through these freeze cycles, when it gets real cold and stuff, it evaporates. You know, the water, the ground dries out very quickly. And so even though your vines and your trees are dormant, there's still a basic need to have some kind of moisture in the ground. Well, if you're not getting moisture from mother nature, you got to figure out a way to get water there. So being able to have these incredible blessings of rains here on the valley floor helps things grow. So um, my trees and vines don't need to be irrigated this time of year. Um, you know, crops like vegetable crops, believe it or not, we have a lot of broccoli being irrigated over on the west side right now. We don't need to worry about that at this point. Um, it does a lot for soil preparation. Those grounds are going to be moist and ready for the seeds to go in if we stayed kind of dried out after these couple storms come in. Uh, you, you'll be ready for the February, March plantings when we have that. So there's a lot of good. And the most good that really benefits from these rains is our uh, rangeland. So that's the rangeland up in the eastern foothills as well as the western foothills. Those lands are, you know, magically turned green. I don't know if you've been up there recently, but oh my gosh, they are gorgeous right green. now, green. And that is, you know, you and I look at it as that's pretty green. To a cattle farmer, that's their feed. That's their <laughs> that's the weight gain they need for their beef or you know beef animals or their lambs or whatever else. That's the weight gain they need, and that stuff makes a huge difference when it comes to cutting their feed bill for the upcoming year. And continuing on this, so how, there are some people who say that the water, all this rain, is great, but it's not going to make its way to the aquifer or to wells now. I'm not an expert in this area, and and our listeners who are from the city are not going to know the answer to this question. But I ask you because you've been around farms and yep. wells your whole life. So will some of this water make its way to the aquifer? Will some of this water help those wells that are running dry? So there's a, uh, there's a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is yes, this water helps immensely. The slightly longer answer is just to get a little more detailed. So when it comes to the rains, the rains are making very little impact. When it comes to the rains just on the valley floor, very little impact when it comes to the groundwater because it has so far down to go to the makes, makes it to the groundwater. I mean, in most cases, it's going anywhere from, you know, 100 to 300 feet, depending upon which part of the valley you're in. But it's it's going down a long ways. It makes it down there probably gradually, but not all of it that we receive here. But what's so critically important, there's two parts of this that are really important. There's the rains that fall in greater amounts up in the foothills that make its way down to the valley, basically flood flows. And then there's that Sierra Nevada snowpack that because of incidentally, because of the higher rains we have down here, we have better snowpack up there. We're able to utilize those to um, uh, apply to agriculture and be able to get those flood flows back into the ground there. So here, you may not know this, but one of my side gigs I do there is I'm president of the board for the Fresno Irrigation District. And so we have a couple things going on right as we speak right now. The first thing is, 
is you know all these ponding basins around the cities of Fresno and Clovis. You know, a lot of people see them as the recreation because they got the geese out there that they can watch, uh, you know, uh, and feed them and, and, and everything else. But there's also another critical part. Those are capturing flows during these times when we get a lot of rain. Guess what? On asphalt and concrete, it doesn't absorb. It doesn't go into the ground. So it has runoff and it goes into these ground or these ponding basins. And so the Fresno Metropolitan Flood Control District works in conjunction with the Fresno Irrigation District to then take those waters. So I know this sounds crazy. Those aren't going to be percolated in the ground because you need to get that water out of those basins as quickly as possible to get ready for the next storm coming right, right around the corner. So we take those flows, we put them into the Fresno Irrigation District canals, and then we take them out the basins that the Fresno Irrigation District has out in the rural areas to be able to sink that water in the ground. So that's where your well recovery comes from is because we're taking those city flows, getting them out to the rural areas, and we seek into the ground to build the groundwater tables. In addition to that, we're taking storm waters from the foothills, as well as you may know that Friant and the Millerton system is releasing flood releases right now. And so we're taking some of those waters to get them out to the groundwater recharge basins. And so that does a ton of good. Over the course of the summer months, we'll take snowpack that's running off and get it to those groundwater basins. And in addition to that, the quickest way to recharge groundwater is to turn off a pump. So if we're able to take those snow supplies during the summer and uh, spring months and able to give surface supplies to farmers to turn off pumps, it's now you're, you're, you're obviously irrigating crops without having to use groundwater. The groundwater is recovering because of that. So that's a huge benefit. And then with all that stated, how does the person in the middle of Fresno help get their groundwater better? There's a couple things happening. So first and foremost, you might know the city of Fresno and Clovis continue to invest in surface water treatment plants. So they take water that's snowpack or runoff from the mountains and they, they clean it and they get it to homes throughout those urban areas. And in addition to that, during the summer months, when there is no storms projected, we'll take some of that runoff, that Sierra Nevada snowpack, uh, and we'll take some of those flows and put them back into those urban basins so that we can recharge groundwater in the urban areas during, during those summer months. So there's a lot of things going on to make sure that we can try to take advantage of these flows as best as possible to get them into the ground. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, you know, when we talk about, you know, infrastructure and storage in the state of California, you and I know, I think we've talked about this before, most of the infrastructure of the state was built between the late 40s and the early 70s. We haven't added a lot to it, but we have added to the extent of doing a ton of these recharge basins out in the areas. These are the big ponding basins where we're able to sink a lot of water at, in a very short time. But I'm here to tell you, those are super important, but we still need above ground storage because these flows come so intensely within a short amount of time, we need the above ground storage to capture it so we can slowly release it into those groundwater storage areas. And I wanna talk about this after I give our station ID because I, th I, was, I was just talking to somebody this morning about what you're talking about. You are listening to San Joaquin Spotlight, a public affairs broadcast airing on CMAC, Comcast 93 and AT&T 99. Also airing on Talk Radio 1550, KXCX, in the Valley of California. And we're on Anchor FM, a Spotify podcast. I'm your host, Sevag Tatiosian. Our guest is a very familiar face if you watch news, because I see him year-round. Ryan Jacobson of the Fresno County Farm Bureau and of the Irrigation District. Welcome again to the program. I'm excited to be here. So I was talking to somebody about this because I actually was reading this morning 
that there are locations around the nation that have this kind of above homes, which I thought, wow, it's called a some sort of a water harvesting, like a, a looks like a big uh, tube or a big like a bowl covered. And it, it there's another pipe that comes from the roof of a house in places where there's a lot of rainfall. And this thing harvests water. And I thought, you know, if I lived at a place where there's rainfall coming, I'd love to have one of these things. I mean, are we talking, is that, I, mean, I know that this is a watered down version, but is that the above ground storage you're talking about? So though the above ground storage I'm talking about is literally dams and reservoirs and lakes. Those are the above ground storage that really captures those flows that are coming off a combination of both rainfall as well as the melting of that snowpack. Um, now those types of uh, runoff programs that you talk about houses, they are becoming more common in certain parts of the U S now, I would argue that it's probably difficult here because of our very short season <laughs> and typical not a lot of rain. But when you're talking to other places of the country, uh, that can be a whole different picture. Man, that can change dramatically. And there could, there's a lot of good that could come from it, quite honestly. So the the it was probably late 90s, and I may be wrong about the date, because, but I know it was a long time ago. The last time that I actually saw Millerton Dam releasing some water, and I don't know if they were releasing it on purpose or if it was overflowing, but it was a long time ago. It, it, are we there? Are we at a place now where if I'm driving up, taking a drive to the foothills, I may see water coming down on the dam? Not quite. Not quite. But it may happen depending on what happens this weekend. Um, we are on the verge of what... I'm, I, I'm one of those I've learned over time. I don't believe it till I see it <laughs> when it comes to weather, because we get all the time. There's projections of an inch and a half that then goes downgrades into an inch and a quarter downgrades to three quarters of an inch downgrades to a quarter inch. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know how much to believe until I actually see it. You know, when you talk about the storm that we had, the last two big storms we had, you know, the last storm we had was this just massive weight of wave of moisture that was coming in. Fresno was dead in the center, dead in the center. That doesn't happen a lot. A lot of times Fresno's on the bottom side of it and it never even reaches Visalia or Bakersfield. And so um, even when you looked at, you go back and looked at the bomb cyclone, um, uh, you know, the way it was turning the Pacific, we got kind of the bottom belt of that. Even though we got some good snowpack, it wasn't necessarily like we were really front and center of that particular storm, but it was this last one that we really did. I'm waiting to see on this one, how much of it actually does hit us because if it hits us, very, very good chance that we do start seeing some water come over that dam. Um, but uh, I'm not positive until we actually see it go through there. Um, we are talking about seeing snow come down and level there. The snow on this last one was above 7,000 feet. They're talking potentially 5,000 below on this one, which does help us with runoff because it does help to uh, keep some of that snowpack there for a little bit longer and gradually melt it versus it all coming at one time uh, as rainfall. And so with all that stated, um, there is a very real possibility you'll still see some spilling over the dam this year. And if you're like me, man, I'm a I'm a I'm a weather nerd and particularly water nerd because that's what I do. And so for me, I I will definitely be up there taking some pictures and enjoying it if it does happen. So the even though let's say this storm comes and it goes away and it's another month before we see another rainstorm, that's still good, correct? Yes. Because from what I hear from you, the snow in the mountains is a lot more 
this time than over the years. You are exactly right. I would be okay right now if we did dry out after this particular storm. We dried out some and then, um, you know, probably scattered maybe two or three more before April 1st of, of decent size would definitely put us in a great position for this upcoming year. Now, you and I can joke because what is it always about the second? I'm sorry. It's always the uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of the farm show down in Tulare. Uh, World Ag Expo that you almost always have a rain cloud of some kind come to over the valley, whether it hits the shore or not. I mean, there's years that you almost need a boat to go from ex exhibit to exhibit just because it gets a bunch of a bunch of flows within a short time there. But all kidding aside, you know, we got uh, now approximately two and a half months until that April 1st date. I would love to see two or three more storms come through here. And if that does happen, we're in a relatively better shape than what we have been and uh, should set us up pretty good there. Now, with all those caveats, I'm going to give all those caveats with something that does really break my heart is the fact that we're here talking about all these exceptional storms. But the reality is, is that in February, that's when the Bureau of Reclamation makes their big decision as far as what the water allocation is gonna be for those West Side farmers. There is a very real possibility that I'm gonna have people scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, I thought it was a really good water year, and yet they're only at a 20, 25% water allocation. Like that doesn't make any sense, but that does show how broken the system is that our inability to get water from where it is to where it's needed. So I've seen some reports that skags can yep. overflow or, you know, there's some areas in Mendota that are on, I don't want to say high alert because I don't want to scare anybody, but that some of the canals out there can overflow. What is causing that? Is it just the lack of infrastructure that you're talking about or is it just too much rain at one time? Because for me, when I see that, I'm like, Okay, it's great. It's overflowing. Can't we take a truck and pump that water out and put it somewhere? So there's a couple explanations that are going on there. Now, this is something that uh, I'm sure a lot, a lot of your listeners never even knew this difference. If they're here locally, they'll know that our two big lake systems are Millerton and Pine Flat. Those are our two big lake systems. But what a lot of people don't know, and I, I know there's probably some boaters out there that know this difference, but not a lot of people know that essentially the storage in Pine Flat is double that of Millerton. Double. So you're talking 520,000 acre feet on the uh, Millerton uh, Frank system and on Pine Flat, it's just over a million acre feet. And so why do I bring this up? Because when you talk about the watersheds of those areas, as far as hi historic average runoff is somewhere about 1.7 to 1. 1.1 million acre feet for both of those systems. So on average year, which you know as well as I, there's no such thing as average. <laughs> average doesn't exist in California. We either have it or we don't have it, but average hardly ever exists. But if you have an average year, Millerton at 520,000 acre feet on average is going to turn over three and a half times during that time because of just the sheer size or the small size of that reservoir versus pine flat at that 1.7 is going to turn over one and a half times during that same time. And so your likelihood of frying spilling or dumping water for flood releases is extraordinarily higher than pine flat. Now that's not to say pine flat doesn't go into flood releases, but they have more opportunity to be able to control those contr uh, floods than you do on the Millerton system. Because as we saw with this uh, current, uh, uh, Set of atmospheric rivers that came through, we were in flood stage very quickly with Bryant, very quickly. And when I say flood stage, that means we were making proactive releases to get ready for more water coming because they want to make sure they don't overtop the dam. What was it? 
2019, the big issues we had up in Oroville, we were looking at losing control of a massive dam that would have been catastrophic for those that were downstream. And so we're talking bad, bad things could happen if you lose controls of these dams. So they were preemptively trying to get this water out. So when you lose, when you have to start evacuating water, there's a couple of things that do become problematic. You know, a lot of things, the environmental work that it takes to really clear some of these river streams is a lot more comp, a lot more difficult. We probably don't invest enough in trying to remove some of these, you know, whether it's dead fallen trees or overgrown uh, areas of the streams that make it more difficult to get that water out. So that has a big issue as far as flooding. And then secondarily, um, you know, when you get out to the west side, there's some areas that have had, experienced some subsidence issues that um, help to contribute to some of those. And then when you talk about probably the highest risk on the west side is fireball. Fireball, it just happens to be located right next to the San Joaquin River. So not only do you have the San Joaquin River coming in, but you got all these other tributaries coming in that are feeding water. So it's possible to have a lot of water within a short amount of time that make it, you know, that we have to be very cautious and try to manage that water as best as possible. We are running out of time this week on the program, Ryan, but one final question. If I'm a farmer or I have acres and acres of land, what am I doing? Am I or am I doing anything to try to save this water? Or am I just thankful that my crops and my dirt is getting hydrated? I am uh, so thankful you asked that question because there are some things that we are in the midst of doing right now that we arguably historically have never done. So as I mentioned, I'm involved with Fresno Irrigation District. I only mention that because of, you know, we're working right now trying to encourage our farmers to take some of these flood flows and put it onto their operations where they can just to trickle water down into the underground aquifer. So there's a so there's been a lot of research that's been done both locally as well as up in this uh, uh, northern part of the state that has looked at recharging groundwater on on permanent crops, whether it be vineyards, almonds, or other type of tree crops, and does it damage those tree crops in the upcoming year or those vine crops in the upcoming year if we were to apply excess water to those fields during the dormancy period when they don't have leaves, basically. And what we have found is that it doesn't really harm. It, as long as we control it, we don't you know, obviously put too much out there by putting water in those fields, we have the dual purpose of recharging the groundwater and taking advantage of these flood flows that only exist for short times. And so as much as I talked about running all that water to these flood basins that really help us recharge groundwater, we are now trying to work with our growers pro proactively to try to see if they can help us get this water back into the ground as well. Interesting uh, way to end the program. Thank you for that information, Ryan. And thank you for being our guest this week. That went by fast. No, I appreciate you having me once again. We always, you and I, when we talk, Ryan, it always, always goes fast. And we just wish you the best as you continue with the many hats you're wearing. I thank you so much. That's all for this edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. I'm your host, Sevag Tatiosi, and thank you to our audience members listening to this broadcast on CMAC, Comcast 93, and AT&T 99. Thank you to those who are also listening on Talk Radio 1550 KX, EX, and to those who are listening on Anchor FM. Tune in next week to a new edition.
This program was made possible in part by FaceLogic Essential Skin Care and Spa in Clovis.